Odd Trails contains adult language and content. If you have a story to share, send it to stories at oddtrails.com. Enjoy the show. Forget facts. Forget logic. Forget everything that seems real. Just trust. Believe. Faces in the Clock by Ellie Ever since I was a child, I could feel, hear, and sometimes see things. My mom is very understanding and familiar with the paranormal. She has been someone who understands, and someone I can turn to when things get scary, annoying, or if something new happens. I have now met with a couple of mediums who have told me that I am sensitive and that I can hone my skills to do what they do if I so choose. They said I shouldn't be scared, and that I am a bright light that will naturally draw so many things to me, including things that are no longer on the same realm as we are now, or never were to begin with. When I was in middle or late elementary school, I used to wake up multiple times a week to someone saying my name and telling me to wake up. Ellie, Ellie, wake up. Ellie, wake up. I would wake up thinking someone was in my room, needing me for some reason. The voice would vary from someone I didn't recognize, or it would be in my mom's voice. One night, it was my mom telling me to wake up, in that sing-song voice moms use to gently wake up their children. I opened my eyes and she wasn't there. The door was shut and nothing new was in my room. So the next morning, I asked her, Were you in my room last night after I went to bed? Did you tell me to wake up and then leave? Uh, no, she replied. You sure? You didn't come to drop off laundry? Or something like that? I asked. Nope, she replied. Then I asked her if she's been doing that at all this month or if my stepdad had needed me awake for some reason, and she said no to it all. Once I made the realization that the voices weren't her or anyone in the house, it only ever happened two other times after that, and many years apart from one another. I have yet to be woken up by them again. Here's another story. My mom was in my room saying goodnight and chit-chatting with me. She's well aware of the other things that have been happening to me up to this point. For example, hearing what sounded like someone trying to get into my bedroom at night, the footsteps I would hear walking up and down the hallway, my door being creaked open, hit, and sometimes shutting on its own, clothes hangers in my closet moving and clinging about, and then stopping on their own, among other things. While she was in there talking to me, My hairbrush that was sitting on top of one of my tables flew off. 
It moved as if someone had launched it off the table. My mom looked at the brush and then at me. I was trying to communicate to her via my facial expression and eyes to plead with her to ignore it. She definitely picked up what I was trying to get at, and she just said, Okay, well, I love you, honey. If you need anything tonight, come get me, okay? Good night. The next morning, on our way to run errands, she mentioned the hairbrush incident. I remember just telling her that I was too scared and that I felt so deeply the need to ignore it. She was telling me how I have the power to kick out anything I didn't want in my space. I can tell them to leave now and that they are not welcome here. Tell them to go to the light and whatnot. I remember one school night. I rolled over in the middle of the night and checked my digital clock on my bedside table to see what time it was. You know, to see how many or how few hours you had left to sleep before the dreaded alarm went off. As I was rolling over and glancing at the clock, I noticed no numbers, but there were faces. There were two faces in my bedside clock instead of the blue digital numbers. They were making these horrifying facial expressions, as if they were screaming so loudly and with so much hate and fury toward me. But not a sound came out. The best visual representation I can give you is to relate them to the rock and roll band Kiss, how their faces were painted in black and white patterns, but these markings were different, more intricate, maybe as if they were symbols. Now, this all took place within probably 10 seconds, but it felt much longer in the moment. I remember seeing their faces, doing a quick double take to see if my eyes were playing tricks on me. The faces and their emotions remained. After I realized I was in fact awake and this was really happening, I became very afraid. I turned my head, looked away, and closed my eyes. After a second or two of me looking away, my intuition kicked in. A jolt of bravery suddenly came over me. I said, screw it, if this is really happening, I might as well give them what they want. So I turned back over to face my clock. They were still there, just as mean and terrifying as before, screaming their rage at me, but with no actual sound coming through. I just stared right back at them. I sat there, blankly staring at these marked up, unearthly faces, who were making the most purely hateful and malevolent sneers at me. They seemed to have so much anger and violence. After maybe two to three seconds of staring back at them, with not a tear or any kind of emotion showing on my own face, that's when they started to fade back into the clock. They simply faded into nothingness. Then the clock went black. Then shortly after that, the LED numbers popped back into their original places. I didn't sleep in my room for roughly seven months after that. I used that room as storage. I slept on the couch, changed and got ready in the bathroom, and had sleepovers in the living room. After a while, I got the courage to throw that clock out, even though I was too scared to touch it at first. I haven't had anything happen on that level since, and I am grateful.
Don't get me wrong, I still see and hear the paranormal, but I think I've created a sturdy wall that holds back the terrifying. The Time My Dad Walked Through the Wall by Ashley This happened roughly 15 years ago, but I still remember it very vividly. I was 8 years old, living with my single father. I always felt an odd feeling and had regularly experienced pressure in my temples in the house that we lived in. I now know that I get this pressure due to a sensitivity to the supernatural. It was a Saturday and I had received some new nail polish for my birthday. My father had been occupied all day with housework, so I decided to entertain myself by painting my nails. I chose to do this in my father's bathroom. His bathroom connected to the master bedroom on the far side of the room opposite the door. If I sat on the bathtub at the right angle, I would get a near-perfect view of his TV, which sat on the opposite corner of the room. I turned on some cartoons and found a comfy place on the bathtub to do my nails. This went on without any issue. I watched TV and painted away without any care. When I finished my toes, I got up to switch colors and start on my fingers. I began to rummage through the bag of nail polish. This is when I began to feel that pressure in my head. Suddenly, I heard the TV turn off. Dad? Could you turn the TV on? I'm still in here, I called out. I got no answer. I looked up at the mirror and I noticed him standing at the door. He was staring at the bedroom wall it was connected to. I repeated that I wanted to keep the TV on, but I got no response. He didn't even look at me. Dad, what are you doing? I asked. Again, there was nothing. You're scaring me, stop, I said rather loudly. Again, he said nothing, and he still would not look at me. That's when he started walking. Not towards me, but towards the wall that he was facing. He walked directly into the wall, and just like that, the pressure was gone. I froze from shock. Suddenly, I heard a noise that jolted me from my trance. I ran outside to find my dad, weeding in the backyard. What were you doing in your room? I asked. When? He responded after turning off his weed eater. Just now, I said, slightly panicked. Ash, I haven't been inside at all in the past hour. Don't you see how dirty I am? I looked down and he was obviously covered in dust and grass from his lawn work. He wouldn't have gotten that dirty in the time that I just saw him in his room to when I found him outside. Are you okay? He asked. Yeah, I'm okay. I just had a bad dream, I think. I didn't want to tell him what I saw. He's a very firm skeptic, and he wouldn't have believed me anyway. I never saw that exact figure again. I did see shadows from time to time and would still get the pressure in my head. Once we moved... The activity stopped. 
I still don't know what caused it, as there were no deaths or tragedies in that home. Even so, I'll never forget the day that my dad walked through the wall. Victorian Girl by Amanda My parents separated about ten years ago. My mom, sister, and myself moved out of the house we shared with my dad and into a rental house. I'll spare you any descriptions of the layout. The house had an eerie feeling to it at all times. The whole neighborhood was also a bit creepy. The house that gave us the worst feeling looked like the one from the movie Monster House. Most homes in the neighborhood were very old, and there were no streetlights. Despite this, we settled in quickly. A few months after moving in, my sister and I got into my car to run some errands. It was pouring down rain. As soon as we pulled out of the driveway and onto the road, I saw a girl I hadn't seen before, standing on the lawn of the monster house. I didn't know of anyone living in that house but I didn't think much of it at the time. She was wearing a Victorian-era white dress. She was standing beside a rickety-looking chair, with her hand placed on top of the back piece. As we got closer to her, I saw that her hair wasn't wet at all, despite the mass amount of rain coming down. I thought my eyes were just playing tricks on me, until my sister mentioned seeing her as well. We continued driving. The road looped around in a way that let us see the backyards of the homes on our street. I slowed down to see if the girl was visible from here. She was. I stopped the car because we had some distance from her. For a moment, she was completely still. I would have thought it was a statue if I hadn't seen her from our street first. After a minute, she started to turn around and took her hand off the chair. I wasn't waiting around to see what would happen next, so I sped away. We took our time with our errands, and threw out multiple theories about what we had seen. We eventually had to go back home, and started heading that way. It had stopped raining at this point. We talked about how the whole situation was weird, and how strange it was that we had never seen the chair before either. When we got back to our street, we noticed that the chair was gone, and so was that girl. We eventually had to let it go, even though we both knew what we saw. Some time went by, and we never saw her again. We did randomly see the chair again on our neighbor's porch, though. I saw him outside a few weeks after first spotting the chair, and asked him where he got it from. He said that it wasn't his but he wouldn't mess with it anymore because every time he brought it down to the curb to be picked up by waste management, it would always somehow end up back on his porch. I'm not sure if the two incidents are related, but I still vividly remember the girl years later.
Tales from Fort Delaware by Albertson. I want to share a compilation of stories and experiences from Fort Delaware. For some brief history, Fort Delaware is a state park on Pea Patch Island, smack dab in the middle of Delaware River between Delaware and New Jersey. Originally constructed as part of a system of forts for coastal protection along the Atlantic coast, the current fort was finished at around 1860, just in time for the American Civil War. Although it was designed for defense, it was actually put into more practical use as a POW camp, mostly consisting of Confederate soldiers. Throughout those four years of war, it saw about 33,000 prisoners, with the most at one time being at around 11 to 12,000. Many of the prisoners were captured after the Battle of Gettysburg. All in all, about 2,500 prisoners died while they were on the island. Although it never saw any battles, the fort was used by the military until the end of World War II and became a state park a few years later. I worked at the state park for a couple of years, and I described myself as an open-minded skeptic, but I've had a few paranormal experiences. To set the scene, the park employees have to take a ferry over to the island, walk down a long wooden dock, board a tram that drives along the gravel road, surrounded on both sides with wet, marshy land, and then arrive at the imposing three-story fort. To get in, you walk over a moat, crossing a drawbridge, and into a dark stone-floored room called the Sally Port. The employees then would get their room assignments and dress up in Civil War-era attire to act for the visitors as if we were really from that time. One minor event that happened to me was when I was sitting upstairs alone in our lunchroom taking my break. I heard a wooden floorboard creak as if someone had shifted their weight onto it. I looked over and saw what I can only describe as a small blurry object, sort of hovering above where I heard the creaking noise. It was there for a few moments, but then dissipated. Another event happened during the fort's yearly paranormal investigations in October. We'd have a ghost hunting group lead visitors to different areas of the fort for them to have hands-on experiences with nighttime paranormal investigations. The fort employees would dress up and give the history of each area that we visited. During this particular night, I was dressed up as a Confederate soldier. At one point, we visited the mess hall where dozens of Union soldiers would have had their meals at the time. While the visitors were doing their investigation, I was standing by the wall minding my own business when I started to feel a pressure on my neck. This lasted for a few seconds and it felt a little difficult to breathe. I decided to walk outside to get some fresh air and the pressure was immediately gone when I left the room. Another experience happened when I was helping close up the fort for the day. One of my duties was to go around each area and make sure that the visitors were gone and to put up these little half-door barriers that you often see in historic house museums to block off the rooms. I go up to check out the officers' quarters, the rooms where officers would live with their wives and children. I put up the barrier and was walking away when slam, the barrier loudly falls down behind me. The weird part is that immediately after it fell, 
I clearly heard a woman's voice kindly say, Careful, as if she were warning a child. All of the other employees were far away at the entrance, and all of the visitors were waiting to ride back on the tram. I have no explanation for this. The last event is from a former employee. We'll call them Ellie. Ellie had worked at Fort Delaware for many years with another employee called N. Ellie and N were both historians and were firm skeptics, believing all of the ghost stuff to be baloney. Apparently they agreed one time that if one of them dies first, they'll send the other a sign to let them know that it's real. They would even joke about it and say things like, Where are you, ghost? Come on out. Unfortunately, N passed away. Not too long after, the show Ghost Hunters came out to do an investigation and film at Fort Delaware. At the end of the investigation, one of the Ghost Hunter members said that they got this strange EVP and they wanted to play it for Ellie. They listened to it and I swear it says, Where are you, ghost? Come on out. She swears that it was the same tone and inflection as in. Thank you for reading the stories. Hopefully some listeners will check out Fort Delaware. It really is a gem of a state park. And all ghosts aside, it's a wonderful place to visit to learn more about Civil War history. Something Followed Me Home by Lance110. I'll preface this by saying I'm very skeptical and don't believe in ghosts or the paranormal. I also believe that there is something after we die, but what that is, I have no idea. I lived in Edinburgh at the time, in an old sandstone tenement flat. Someone had given me the book, The Ghost That Haunted Itself, by Jan Andrew Anderson. The stories about the Black Mausoleum and the Mackenzie Poltergeist. It was an interesting non-fiction read about an old and historical part of Greyfriars Cemetery. Jan founded the City of the Dead tour, and despite living in the city and not being tourists, my girlfriend at the time suggested we go on it. For the most part, it was really interesting and being held at night, the tour was obviously designed to be very spooky. You're taken around a lot of historical and spooky sites, and the guide tells you about the history and deaths that occurred there. I'm not easily scared, and thought it was all good fun. The tour ends by locking the entire group inside the black mausoleum, in the dark, and leaving you there for ten minutes. I won't go into the history and experiences people have had there, but it's worth looking up. I never experienced anything other than hearing a scratching noise on the inside about three feet above my head. My back was to the rear wall, so I just assumed it to be the birds. Everyone in the group was whispering and nervously laughing, but everyone seemed to be enjoying themselves. After the ten minutes is up, the gate is unlocked and you're let out. 
Then the group is invited to a pub across the road for a drink to finish off the tour. My girlfriend and I declined, and this is where it got weird. Something followed me home. The only way I can describe this is that it felt like I was physically carrying something on my back, like someone had put an invisible rucksack on me. I didn't know what to make of it, and the whole walk home, I had this really weird feeling that something was there. Not just an inanimate object, but like an actual person was on my back. When you walked into my flat, the hall was an L shape. To the left was the living room, and halfway down the hall, in front of the living room door, was the bedroom. It was an oddly small and tall room, which I think used to be an airing cupboard, but had somehow been converted into a bedroom. On the right-hand wall, up near the ceiling, was a large square hole, which opened into the kitchen. We could never figure out what this hole was for, but there was a small curtain over it for privacy. The room only had space for a bunk bed with a desk under it and a small armchair. So when you were in bed at night, that hole was right at your head. This becomes relevant later. After we got home, I got this weird feeling, but it wasn't particularly late, so we decided to relax in the living room for a while before bed. The flat was always uncomfortably hot, so we left the windows open quite often. This night was no different. Once we were in the living room, however, that bizarre feeling left me, and I felt kind of relieved. I had no idea what it was, so I just shrugged it off. That's when other things started happening. We had three cats, all of which had free roam of the house. It didn't take long for us to notice that they were flat out refusing to go into the hall. I didn't think much of this at the moment, but not long after, I got up to go to the bathroom, which was down the far end of the hall. That's when I heard a loud bang in the middle of the hallway, right in front of our closed bedroom door. It was also freezing cold. Nowhere else in the house, just that one area. And it was very noticeable when he walked through. Again, I just shrugged it off and went to the bathroom. The cats were acting weird and a bit frightened. One was standing at the living room door, looking into the hall, and growling quietly to itself. We didn't really know what to make of this, but she eventually took herself away, so we thought she was just being a bit odd and that was that. Something didn't feel quite right though, so we decided we would just head to bed. That night I had unbelievably restless sleep. I was 18 at the time and didn't really have nightmares anymore, but I had a dream that I woke up and I was drawn to that hole in the wall. I pulled back the curtain and staring back at me, angrily, was the face of an old man with long and thin black hair. There was something really off about his face that terrified me, to the point I woke up instantly. I didn't know what it was, and I didn't want to wake my girlfriend because of what I assumed to be a stupid dream. 
Thankfully, I managed to get back to sleep and had no other weird dreams. I mentioned it to her in the morning, and although she was kind of freaked out by it, considering what happened the night before, we just chalked it up to being a nightmare. It took almost a week before that whole place felt normal again. It just always felt like there was something else there with you. As skeptical and rational as I am, I still can't explain what followed me home that night. Echoes and Shadows by a listener that asked to remain anonymous. This story took place at one of the lowest points in my life, but before I get into it, some context is needed. This takes place in the midst of COVID-19 and my sophomore year. While our parents are very religious, I was not at the time. Now, on to the story. After COVID started my freshman year, I started losing motivation to do well in school. I gave up. My insomnia was horrible. I'd be going to bed at about 8 in the morning as everyone would start to wake up. Fast forward to my sophomore year. One night my parents hadn't gotten home from work yet, and I was just watching TV with my little sister, Melanie. We heard our closet door slide open. We gave each other a look and brushed it off, thinking our older sister Mila had woken up from her nap in a bad mood. Then we hear a drawer open, then slam shut. Our dresser drawers are heavy. They're loaded with clothes, and slamming them is very difficult. I started to get annoyed at this point, as I had a bad day and just wanted to watch my show in peace. I get up, and I open the door to find Mila, sound asleep. I decided to ignore it and sit back down. Just as I sit down, I hear it again. We freak out and grab knives from the kitchen after Melanie made a comment about us not being alone in the house. We went to find Mila dead asleep on her bed, so we went to wake her. Mila has always been a heavy sleeper. My family has joked that she could sleep right through the apocalypse, but this was different. The minute I reached and touched her arm to shake her awake, I felt a sense of heavy dread. No matter what I did, she wouldn't wake up. It was like she was dead. We tried to drag her out of bed, but no matter how hard we tried, she wouldn't move an inch. I heard the closet door creak before something on the shelf inside came crashing down. I freaked. I ran to the kitchen and I grabbed some olive oil. I grew up in a religious household, and though I wasn't exactly religious myself, it seemed like the safest bet to me. I went straight into our room and I blessed my sisters and dog with it, muttering a few prayers that I knew. The cupboards in the kitchen opened and slammed shut as I went on to bless the doorways of our home. After that, it grew silent. We didn't tell our parents for about two weeks, but nothing happened. The next incident happened at around 3.30 in the morning. I was drawing on the top bunk of my bed 
when the bed started shaking. So I said, Melanie, stop moving so much. You're shaking the bed. There was no response. Thinking that she was ignoring me, I rolled my eyes and leaned over the railing of my bed to tell her to knock it off when my heart dropped. I see that she's sound asleep, but that's not what caught my eye. There was a dirty, greenish hand with sharp nails reaching out from under her bed. I froze. It didn't make sense. We used the underneath of the bed for storage, and there was zero space left over. A second later, my dog started howling from outside of our bedroom door. I snapped out of it and jumped off of my bed, practically throwing myself at the door to let him in. As soon as the door was open, my dog placed himself between me and the bed, letting out a growl that I didn't know he could make. I caught a glimpse of the hand again and screamed. I tried waking Mila when I got the same sense of dread. I knew that they would not wake up anytime soon. I freaked out and I ran to my parents' room screaming. I reached out to shake my mother when I realized how cold it was. Now we live in California and we don't even use the AC unless we're practically dying of heat stroke. I felt sick. I knew that my parents would not be waking up. I went into a frenzy after that. I ran back to my room to see my dog lunging in the direction of Melanie's bed. I started pulling everything out from under the bed and instinctively started praying. In the end, there was nothing but three deep scratches on the bottom left leg of the bed. I was tired as I sat in the middle of the room surrounded by the things we had stored under the bed. My dog never left my side. My sisters found us sitting side by side in the morning. Two weeks passed and nothing happened. After this brief period of peace, it began again. 3.30 a.m. The bed started to shake, but this time I heard whispering voices. It sounded like thousands of them. Again, my dog howled outside the door. I jumped down and landed a little funny. In the second that it took me to regain my balance, I felt a sharp, freezing breath on my heels. I jumped away, and I looked down to see frost forming at the back of my ankles. I screamed and opened the door, letting my dog in as I ran past him to my parents' room. I swung their door open, sobbing, and reached for my mother. After a minute of pleading for her to wake up, I felt that same dread once more. I backed up, wiped away my tears, and went to grab a kitchen knife before marching into my room once more. As I walked in, I saw that same disgusting hand, but this time, a whole arm was exposed, and it was reaching for Melanie. My devoted dog standing over her, snapping when it got too close, I've never felt so much rage in my life. Tormenting me is one thing, but going for my baby sister, that's the wrong move. I swung the knife and I cut it. There was no blood. It retreated immediately as I once again clawed the boxes out from under the bed. Nothing was there. I sat in the middle of the room while my dog paced circles around me. My sisters found us like that the next morning. Another uneventful two weeks. This next one took place in broad daylight, 3.30 p.m. 
I was sitting at the kitchen table doing schoolwork when a noise in our room caught my attention. We had this rickety fan that was held together by a lot of duct tape. I turned, expecting to see Melanie ready to tell me to stop messing with the fan. What I saw when I looked was dirty, with matted hair and greenish, with a deep wound in its left arm. It was a horrifying sight. Looking at it made me gag. I can't describe how disgusting it was and how it made me feel. I ripped the tape before jumping onto Mila's bed. I ran into the room and there was nothing there. The only proof is the now dirty ripped tape. In shock, I walked back to the table where my mom gave me a puzzled look. I told her, I have to tell you something. Still reeling from what had just happened, I explained the whole story to her. Two days later, we had a priest come over and bless our house and our family. After that, everything went back to normal. We still live in the same apartment. Ellie's faces in the clock story really makes me think there could be a market for some horror-themed alarm clocks if they don't already exist. Yeah, that's a pretty good idea. What, but, I mean, would you actually buy one? I don't really like buying anything, so no. But, I mean, hear me out. If a singing <laughs> fish mount can make millions, there's got to be people who would buy a horror-themed alarm clock, right? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Or at least, like, a cuckoo clock of a ghost that pops out and threatens to tell everyone about your dreams or it's like a patrick bateman one from american psycho and he just pops up and asks to see your business card <laughs> <laughs> perfect perfect so i'm thinking that clock could probably be like a haunted object or something we've had a few of those on the show yeah it doesn't always have to be a doll or a stuffed animal necessarily there's also the possibility that maybe the clock malfunctioned and the faces were just a visual anomaly but like Ellie seems to have gotten a good enough look at them to have not been fooled. Hmm. Also, it's not like clock numbers are the size of faces, you know. It's, it's a small clock. They usually are. Yeah, that's a good point. The hairbrush flying off the table, though. Talk about hair raising. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, you might think that popsicle stick jokes like that would annoy me, but those are some of my favorite jokes. Yeah, clean humor is actually sometimes more impressive because it doesn't rely on the shock value. I, I like it. Like, like Mitch Hedberg, master at that craft. Yeah, I agree. I prefer clean jokes because it's so much more surprising that you can be funny in this day and age mm -hmm. without cussing right. or being dirty. So I got one for you. Sure. Okay, how about this one? What room does a ghost not need in a house? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe a bathroom, but that wouldn't be a punchline. A living room. That's cute. I like that. <laughs> yeah, you can thank my Googling skills for that one. <laughs> Your efforts don't go unnoticed. <laughs> but yeah, the, the hairbrush thing could be some poltergeist action, if you ask me. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. They can sometimes just cause some kind of mild inconvenience for people. What's a mild inconvenience you've experienced that you just can't help but get a little too worked up over? I know there's got to be a lot. Oh, man, I've been working on this problem I let things bother me too often, but one that's hard to shake is people eating loudly, especially at the movies. Yeah, definitely one of mine too. Just 
unwanted noise in general. Mm-hmm. Other people have made it so hard to go to the movies anymore. Yeah, I watched this interview where Christopher Nolan was upset about how movies are produced for streaming and people aren't going to the movies enough anymore. And I totally get that. Mm-hmm. But for me, and I would imagine a lot of other people, because I, I'm not crazy, this is really happening. It has nothing to do with streaming. I love the movies. I just can't handle how like 90% of the time people just don't follow proper movie etiquette. Exactly. There's always somebody that feels the need to talk. My blood boils more than it should when people just say a couple of words to each other. Yeah. The the worst though is when people try to predict plot twists oh, out loud. God. There is no reason for that. You don't need to flex on everybody else by trying to be one step ahead. Yeah, I remember I accidentally did this did that, but more subtly, I took Natalia to a movie that I had seen already. I think it was Ouija, uh, The Origins of Evil. Yeah, it was the sequel to Ouija. And I was holding her hand throughout the movie because it was a little bit early on during our dating so that we were still doing cute stuff like that. Aww. And uh, every time something scary was about to happen, I would squeeze her hand and she'd be like, you ruined that movie for me. Because every time something scary was about to happen, you squeeze my hand and I didn't get any of the jump scares. <laughs> wow. Yeah, she still married you. Yeah. Surprising. But I do hate that. I hate <laughs> it when people ruin the movie. Mm-hmm. In The Force Awakens, some random dude next to me felt the need to say, Oh, he's going to kill him during that <laughs> fateful scene with Kylo Ren and Han Solo. Yeah. I don't care how innocent or obvious it may have seemed that it was going to happen, but it completely ruined the immersion. I, I just want to sit quietly and submit myself to the experience and for it to play out without any expectations. Yeah, I agree. That I guess, yeah, you could say my biggest pet peeve, though, is people eating loudly, but especially when it's at the movies. How about you? Um, Like in general, as far as like mild inconveniences or pet mm-hmm. peeves. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I love people. Don't get me wrong, especially those who listen to the podcast. But I have a lot of problems with the general public, if that makes sense. I love people, but I hate the general public. Okay. Yeah, it does. I, I get pretty bad road rage, but I've been I've been doing better. I try not to pass cars if I don't need to. And like life is too short. You're gonna get to the destination when you get there. But also people just walking too slow in front of me. And I, I definitely don't feel like the universe should revolve around me, but I do. I, <laughs> I get overly annoyed when people just kind of get in my way or interrupt my flow somehow. I totally agree. I'm I'm with you there. I I hate that too, but yeah, it's something that I think that both of us probably need to work on because I've noticed both of us are very intolerant to being (laughs) irritated. Mm -hmm. We're Mm -hmm. so edgy and touchy. I know. I know. We act like this is some like profound (laughs) pet peeve that nobody else has. I also think it's funny how everybody hates bad drivers, but if everybody hates bad drivers, that would mean there aren't any bad drivers or just a big lack of self-awareness. True. True. Yeah. So going on to Ashley's story about her dad walking through the wall, this gave me the same exact goosebumps that I got from that video camera story that I always talk about. Oh, yeah, the one with the little kid who saw the hands holding a camera in the bathroom window, but like the dad was the only one in the house, right, doing construction or something like that. Yeah, it would have been impossible for them to see somebody else holding a camera outside of the window. And it's a similar thing where you see your dad somewhere in the house and they aren't behaving like themselves and it's impossible for them to be there because they're out doing something else. Mm -hmm, mm Mm-hmm. I really hope that dad wasn't actually filming this entire time. Oh, (laughs) God, yeah. That would be a twist. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
But yeah, the doppelganger phenomenon is one of the creepier ones for sure. Yeah, I find those guys to be way more frightening than ghosts or aliens for some reason. Totally get that. Oh, so I found an answer to our old Bill mystery last week. Ooh, what'd you find out? Well, so if you missed last week's episode, Brandon presented us with the mystery of the missing bills. Yes, he did. <laughs> it's a good week for me to uh, refer to myself in the third person like that uh, yeah. hot sauce video. <laughs> yeah. um, gosh, that was a lot. That was That was insane. We can talk about that in a little bit, but... Yeah, basically, we talked about how you never see the older dollar bills anymore. I don't want to say dollar bills because the actual $1 bill is the same, but yeah, everything from five and up, the the old designs are hard to come by. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I haven't seen any in such a long time. So where are they going? So a listener named Mary Beth responded with the following. I quote, I don't know if Andy and Brandon will actually see this. We did. But on their outro in episode 103, Brandon was curious about what happens to the old money when the government prints new bills. Well, my mom is a bank teller and said that when people would come in with old money, they would keep it in the vault until it was picked up by the trucks that would bring in new bills. And when customers would come in and cash their checks, they were told to only give out the new bills to keep the old bills out of rotation. Hmm. I had an old $10 bill a few months ago and I should have kept it. You should have. It makes me wonder, though, who's who's hoarding all these old bills? That's a question for one of our higher up listeners, I guess. Shame, shame. I want some. Spread the wealth. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, so hot sauce thing uh, on your Instagram, you were doing the uh, I guess the what's it called? The hot ones. The hot ones. Challenge. The hot ones yeah. challenge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're like this. They had this value pack with 10 sauces to include. Da bomb, yeah, and I think it's da bomb, right? Yeah, it's with a D. Mm-hmm. I hate that, like moons over my hammy. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Um, stuff. <laughs> oh man, but yeah, that was in there in the last dab, and I went overboard trying to. Uh, well, I was with my my friend from work, and he's somebody who doesn't handle hot sauces very well, but for some reason he took it a lot better than me. Mm-hmm. So I said, you know, what? I'm going to show you up, and for the last dab, I put on like about a tablespoon. And yeah, that was not fun. I I really thought I was going to need some uh, medical attention there. But yeah, I'm glad you liked that video. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Actually, my wife ordered the last dab a couple years ago. And I I like hot sauce, but there's only so much my body can handle, my mouth can handle. But there's Mm -hmm. only so much like the rest of me can handle, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And uh, I tried the last dab. I tried a generous amount, pretty much like what you took that picture of that you sent me. And Mm -hmm. it burned so bad in my mouth that the roof of my mouth swelled up Mm -hmm. like like an actual burn, like something actually hot, like a fire hit it. (laughs) And we'll just say that the next day was not pleasant. (laughs) I'm not going to go into details. I uh, I I'm surprisingly doing okay. Yeah. No, uh, no lasting effects there. I I would do it again. Like I, I really like hot food. If I could make a suggestion, and you you would agree on this, Secret Aardvark is perhaps one of the best hot sauces to exist. Yellowbird also. Yep, it's the perfect limit of burning your mouth, but not torture. It's the, the, the tip of enjoyability. Exactly. Yeah. 
Well, I got nothing else for you. Nor do I. <laughs> Thanks, everybody, so much for listening. Uh, make sure that you sign up for our Patreon if you want to get ad-free versions of all of our episodes at a higher bit rate. You can do that at patreon.com forward slash odd trails. And don't forget to check out the new episodes of my other podcasts, like Let's Not Meet a True Horror Podcast, Welcome to Paradise It Sucks, and the Old Time Radio Cast, all at crypticcountypodcasts.com. Everyone stay safe. Peace out. Don't let the ghosts and the ghouls disturb you, darling.